The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
This is the Tom Sumner program, and my uh, my guest this hour has a uh, a new memoir, a second memoir. We're going to find out what that's all about with uh, with my guest, who is also a former cult member, and we're going to find out how that led to her writing uh, her uh, 2019 memoir, The Burn Zone, and now the new memoir, Still on Fire, from Renee Linnell, joins me by phone. Renee, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. Thank you for inviting me. Um, Renee, you had a pretty successful run with The Burn Zone, which came out in 2019, and that was... A memoir about realizing that you had been basically drawn into a Buddhist cult and and brainwashed. What led you to write this new memoir, Still on Fire? I I almost get the impression, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this is um, a a post pandemic addendum. <laughs> <laughs> It is in a way. Well, it was all it was always coming through me. Still on Fire was written. It was a catharsis and turned into a book. It was my journal entries. And when I finally started telling people about the story, they all said you had you have to write a book. And so I realized I had been writing a book. And then, as you said, um, people really loved that book and asked me when the next one was coming. And people had asked me to write about my travels and um, my wild, crazy life. And so I did. And it did turn into this book, but still on fire. But I think the timing is so perfect because I think after the last two and a half years, 
people are ready to read about magic, miracles, travel, and romance. Well, and it's it's interesting because the whole point of of the book and and what you're sharing with people is that there is life after dumb decisions or you know um, tragic outcomes to decisions and I think there are a lot of people who maybe need to be energized a little bit in the wake of the pandemic because physically and emotionally we've become because of lockdowns and quarantines and so on somewhat atrophied yes I agree and and we've all been through trauma regardless of what we've been believing the last two and a half years and where on the spectrum we stand, we have all been through trauma. And so I think it's really helpful to read about somebody else who's been through a lot of trauma to the point of not knowing what to believe and not wanting to reenter the world and seeing how that person did that. And so that's why I write. I realize that sharing my stories can help others. And and I love the feedback I get, which is people say it felt like your soul was speaking to my soul, even though our lives are so different. Well, let's talk a little bit about your life, because if somebody were to, to just, um, you know, look at some of the things that have happened to you, somebody might, Renee, surmise that, that you have been a little gullible. <laughs> <laughs> And, yes. and, and, I, and I mean that with all respect and sensitivity. Uh, we've all drawn, been drawn into things that we wish we hadn't. Um, but a, as you look back over it, what was it that, that got you to, to, to keep trying? To keep trying after being so broken or to be gullible and get drawn into a cult? <laughs> no, to keep trying after realizing you'd been drawn into a cult. And and you had uh, you had a bummer in business, too. I did, yes. Well, it's so interesting because I realized after doing all the interviews for The Burn Zone that the cult experience parallels any toxic relationship. And... If we go on a first date and somebody hits us, we, we would get up and leave the table. But they start with romance and making us feel seen and heard and loved and like we belong. And that's what this cult did. And I felt like I had finally found my tribe and people who understood me. And Anyway, after going through that whole journey and then being so shattered, I was no longer trusting my inner guidance, which I think bad relationships cause a lot of self-doubt. And because of the self-doubt and no longer trusting my own intuition, I got into then that really bad business scenario and my whole life fell apart. Um, but what got me to come out of it was I just one day I realized we have two choices here on Earth when life comes along with a sledgehammer. We either quit, which <laughs> we can quit, or we keep going. And if we're going to keep going, I, I could no longer be a victim. I wanted to be a warrior, and, and that with that decision I took my power back. You know, a lot of people who've had experiences like the one you had in the Buddhist cult and and some of the other experiences that you've had, um, typically people sort of hide those away 
and don't talk about them and certainly don't share them you know with with a reading public um what made you Tom, did I lose you? No. Oh, oh, okay. What made me share it? Oh, um, you know, the reason I decided to share it is because of exactly what you just said. I realized I had so much shame around it, and I wasn't talking about it, and I thought no one understood me, and I was just this wounded, damaged, victim-y, sad sap that had gone through all this stuff. And then when I started sharing it, not only were people fascinated by it, but they started to open up to me their own stories of trauma. And I realized when we share our stories of trauma or bad decisions or life failures or whatever it is, we bond with other people who have had similar tragedies, let's just say. And so I shared my story in order to encourage other people to share theirs. More with author Renee Linnell straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen. 
We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with author Renee Linnell, straight ahead. You said something a moment ago that I wanted to explore a little bit. You you talked about a, a conscious decision to be more warrior than victim, and 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 I'm just wondering what what precipitated that that eureka moment that that decision for Renee that says you know what I'm 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 not going to live this way anymore I'm going to do things differently what precipitated that and what was that that transition like I think I hit rock bottom um there's a chapter in the burn zone called oatmeal where one day all I could do was just will myself to eat and I couldn't even every time I tried to stand up I'd collapse I was so upset and depressed and suicidal and confused and and then I thought, if I really was going to leave this planet, what would I miss? And I started realizing the things I would miss were tiny things like warm coffee first thing in the morning or listening to birds sing or watching the sunrise and the changing colors in the sky. And I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to leave this planet, well, why don't I enjoy doing that a few more days? And then as I started to enjoy doing all those little things, I realized I didn't want to leave. And then as I realized I didn't want to leave, I got really angry at, because most of my family died when I was young, and my father died on Thanksgiving Day when I was 15, and my mom drowned, and she was missing, and she drowned in a bathtub in a hotel, all those tragedies that led me into the cult, where I then got brainwashed and then destroyed my life, and then went into business with somebody and got smeared all over the New York tabloids and lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I just was like, poor me, poor me, why is this always happening to me? And then I just woke up that morning and I said, I'm done. I, I went through all of this. I've learned these incredible life lessons. I have all this wisdom now to share and all this strength. And I made a playlist called Back in Black with ACDC, Back in Black, and Eminem and all these <laughs> songs. And I played it on repeat. And I was like, no one's keeping this woman down. I'm rising and I'm going to start rocking version 2.0. And here I come. You know, I can't help asking about the situation with your mother. As unfortunate as as it was that your dad passed away on Thanksgiving when you were 15, uh, 
Um, that seems to be of of natural causes, but there. But then your mother disappearing and and then being found uh, drowned in a hotel bathtub. It sounds like there's some mystery there. Are there a lot of unanswered questions about your mother's death, or has that all been sorted out? There is mystery, and I had an autopsy done. I was only 28 when that happened, um, and they found no foul play. And the night that I found out about it, I was just crying and crying, and my mother and I had a really estranged relationship. She was very emotionally abusive to me. And I and I had a twin brother who she always loved much more than me. And that night I was crying, and I just heard she came to me in my mind, and I heard her say, "Honey, it wasn't that I loved you less; it was that Gary, my brother, he needed me more." And she said, "I died when your father died, and and I couldn't be on this planet anymore. So I just went into a warm bath and I left my body. And don't be sad." And somehow that brought me peace, um, that I knew that she did die when my father died, which had been 15 years prior, or 14. So I never looked into it again. Yeah, that it seems um, it, just the way it, that it was described in, in your biography made it sound like it was fairly mysterious. Yes, it was. But... But I really do feel in my heart that she was just done, and she loved taking baths, and it was a good way to do it, and she left. But, yes, you do wonder how a grown woman drowns in a bathtub. How much of this second um, memoir, Renee, was written during the pandemic, during the, the quarantine? Um, most of it. A lot of it was. I, <laughs> I actually didn't lock down. So I've always been a risk taker, and I took advantage <laughs> of the empty planes and empty hotels and empty resorts. And um, and I do talk about this in Still on Fire. Um, I'd been so sick as a child, and once I figured out how to get my immune system really strong, I've I just was never worried about getting sick. So I just was traveling around and writing at resorts and on planes and in airport empty airports. Well, that's that's interesting. Um, reminds me a little bit of uh, when I lived in L.A. and had what they call a reverse commute. If you're going the opposite direction of everybody else, the traffic's not so bad. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it was a really eerie feeling to be in empty airports and on empty planes. On one plane I had a dance party with the flight attendants and the pilot because there was only me and two other passengers and I started dancing and then they started dancing with me up at 30,000 feet and then the pilot went to use the restroom and saw us dancing and started dancing with us. That seems strange that that uh, that those flights would even go up. I think um, my understanding was Pat, uh, I forget Oh, that they had to keep moving the planes around because I guess if the planes sit too long, it's not good for them. Something like that. It it just seems like you know they could only fly so many planes um, at a deficit. Right, right. Oh, I'm sure there was a deficit, but that's that was my understanding that they had to move they had to move the planes around to keep them 
keep them running. Well, that's interesting. What what kind of responses have you gotten to um, to this the, to this second book, Still on Fire? Well, it comes out today, so today's the big launch day, and uh, my big launch party is this evening. But the reviewers, so far, I've had wonderful reviews. Just people are kind of they're saying their jaws are dropped by the adventures I've had but yet there's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom and that um that it does feel like my soul speaks to their soul and that they could see themselves in a lot of my stories and what I'd learned they could relate to themselves and so I've been really fortunate in that the reviews so far have been wonderful do you have books or or writings um other than these two memoirs? Just the blogs on my website. I post a blog about every month or two months. What, um, I, after writing um, the, the first book, The, the Burn Zone, um, did you have the writing bug and do you have it still? Is there, is there another book on the on the horizon there is another book there is a third book this is a trilogy and the third book will be called twin flames and the truth is i am always writing i love to write i see i realize i see the world through a very different perspective than most people um through a perspective of magic and miracles even after everything i've been through and and so when I, for example, see a tree in the winter that has no leaves, most people see a, a bare tree, and I see this tree that's just pulsing with life, ready to explode in color, just going, I can't wait to show off what I've got hidden inside. And so I love to write about that. You know, I, 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 I hate to make light of it, but when you were talking about your mother uh, seeming to to favor your twin brother um i i couldn't help hearing in the back of my head tommy smothers saying mom always liked you best (laughs) it happened did you did you ever utter that phrase or identify with tommy smothers in any way (laughs) i don't know who tommy smothers oh the smothers brothers um they were folk singers slash comedians and um very popular they had their own network television show in the 60s and um one of their signature bits was tommy smothers telling his brother dick that mom always liked you best (laughs) no i didn't know about that oh it's 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 very funny if you get a chance youtube it i i think you'll get a kick out of it i i thought for sure when you said that that you'd be familiar with the reference my my apologies for um because i i'm not out to stump you by any means oh no um, but uh now after after the trilogy which is all sort of caught up in this this memoir and the crazy adventures of uh Renee Linnell um have have you thought about some other some other writing or do you think you'll be doing a lot more writing going forward or um, is is there work that you do that that would prevent you from having the time? 
I think I'll always continue writing, and I really do love public speaking. I'm so I'm shy and introverted, even though you would never know that if you looked <laughs> at my website or read my book. Um, and I never thought I, w- I would enjoy public speaking, but I realize um, so many of us have been through trauma and tragedy and, and struggle to find our way on the other side. And as I travel around talking, I've loved the people I've met and the different ways that I've been able to inspire them and help them kind of jump back into life again and be ready to start over with everything they've learned and kind of their battle scars. And so I, I would love to continue traveling and speaking. You know, it, it, you've got, got me thinking about this whole notion of, of being an introvert. Um, because you don't seem like an introvert. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm really enjoying our conversation. It seems very effortless for you, and I can imagine you um, being a, a, a really warm and engaging public speaker. So I, I don't see that that part of, of you being an introvert. And, and I wonder how much, for people who are introverts, how much of that is about not wanting to share the things that you've decided to share very openly by publishing them in books? I do. Well, thank you for those lovely words. And I do think that that is one of the, it's so liberating to just be able to share exactly who we are. And I think we're taught from such a young age that we can't be 100% who we are. As kids, we're told, oh, we're too loud or we're too rambunctious or we have to fit in at school so we don't get made fun of. And so we learn to hide all these authentic pieces of ourselves. And and it really creates a lot of soul sickness and suffering. And so as I do think as we learn to be able to be more and more authentic and and laugh at our mistakes and share the, the bad decisions we've made, life becomes a lot more fun and interacting with other people becomes a lot more fun because it's like, oh, I'm... I'm human and and it's messy and you're human and it's messy and let's talk about this wild ride we're on that none of us really even knows what we're doing we're all just winging it. Is is part of the message in the book um about not fearing failure? Yes, definitely. Not not fearing failure and and not fearing life. I think that so many of us are so afraid of dying honestly or making mistakes that we never truly live and and so yes so much when you read about you know me being stranded at 22,000 feet in the Himalayas or being electrocuted in the Maldives or being detained by Panamanian military in the middle of nowhere and wake surfing in crocodile infested water you know I think people will be like oh my gosh if she survived all of that I can definitely sign up for the Spanish class I've been wanting to take for 10 years or ask this person on a date oh that's funny um you know when you when you talk about um asking someone on a date what has your relationship status been throughout all of these adventures well still on fire dives into me trying to regain my mojo after not dating (laughs) so for years (laughs) so and the trials and tribulations um because as i started telling my girlfriends when i would try to enter the dating world again uh they were they would laugh so hard and say you've got to put this in your book but 
I was not dating in the cult, and then I ended up in a relationship with a male spiritual teacher, which was awful. And then I was in that awful relationship in New York where I ended up in the tabloids. Um, and then I was so broken, I didn't date for five years. And then I started trying to venture back into the world of romance, and, and it was difficult. It wasn't easy. It was. It's funny now. You know, just despite what um, Andy Warhol said about everybody, you know, getting 15 minutes of fame, um, most of us will never know what it's like to be the subject of tabloid headlines. <laughs> what What was that like for you? Oh, my gosh, it was terrible. I, I don't read the news usually, and so I woke up one morning in New York, and my phone was just ringing and texting making all these noises and I thought what the heck is going on and everyone kept saying are you okay are you okay do you need to talk do you need me I didn't know what was going on and then somebody called a classmate of mine from NYU and I answered he said Renee what is going on you're all over the tabloids and then when I tried to leave my building I had camera people out front and really uh, it was devastating because they slandered me and um but now it's really funny. <laughs> well, what what was at the root of it? I mean, you know, usually people have there's there are investigations going on. There there are things you're caught up in, and you kind of know it's coming. And it sounds like this hit you completely out of the blue. It did. It well, I was in a lawsuit. So the awful New York business venture thing. I ended up in a lawsuit with my business partner and. He was a fitness guru. I, we had been lovers. I was losing a lot of money, so it had the trifecta of fitness guru, ex-lover, tons of money, and um, the, the, the tabloids were so funny. I think one of the headlines said, who would have thought the steamiest establishment on East 10th Street wasn't the Russian bathhouse? Oh, and there was sex addiction in there. It was, I mean, it just, it was a, it was a, sultry story and they grabbed a hold of it well it's just it's just odd because there had to be some place across town where some you know other couple with a spiritual advisor connection and and money was going on and that didn't make news i think that my lawyer told me that actually that reporters scan the lawsuits um to see if there's you know, an interesting one. I don't. I think that's what happened. I don't know what happened. All I know is it was <laughs> horrible when it happened, and now it's really funny, and it just makes for a great story. How how long um, did that did that plague you? Um, you know, we we Americans tend to have pretty short memories when it comes to big news <laughs> stories, but did you? find um that that was true that that it was over almost as quickly as it began or did it follow you around and haunt you for a while it followed well i it followed me around a bit i i was going to a, do, a karate dojo in new york and i had to walk in there with everybody believing kind of what they read and same with my building the building i lived in but i realized such a powerful lesson 
with that, which is people will believe whatever they want to believe about other people, and our character is so much more important than our reputation. And I realize anyone who knows me isn't going to believe that, and anybody who wants to believe that is believing it because it makes them feel better about themselves. So in a way, I'm doing a service. And and um, and I just had to kind of dig deep within and realize I'm not the person they're portraying me to be, and that's all that matters. But it took a while. It took definitely a couple of years for me to laugh at it. <laughs> I, I, w- I would think there are probably still things about it that, that aren't as funny as it might seem on the surface. <laughs> it's, you know, I, it's funny because after doing all the interviews for Burn Zone and being labeled cult survivor, cult survivor, and I finally, at the end of it, I was like, I, I'm just Renee with a hell of a story. I've had a great crazy wildlife. I'm just Renee with a crazy story. How, you know, you said that that being in the cult ruined your life. And and yet your life as you and I sit here and talk, Renee doesn't seem so ruined. I'm sure it felt like that at the time, but how long did it take to get over that? It took a good five years. I was in, I was, because I, I did things like I burned almost everything I owned. I, <laughs> I mean, I was the extreme student that did everything the guru said. And I was the consort, which is the lover of the male teacher. So I, and I was kind of like their slave. I was cleaning their house and cooking for them and paying them tons of money. I mean, it's absurd. Um, and I just had no sense of self. And then I alienated all my friends and then even my twin brother and the little bit of family I'd left. Um, and so I didn't have friends. I didn't have family. I didn't have support system. I burned everything I owned. I lost all this money. I mean, I just, I kind of took myself down to nothing. And so rebuilding all of that back with a sense of self and being able to trust myself and trust the world again took five years you know the the title of the new book still on fire is um you know it it has an inspirational quality to it but where did the burn zone title come from the burn zone title came from the first publisher i i originally named the manuscript i drank the kool-aid and um she didn't like that title, and then she picked The Burn Zone. And it, the book opens with me sitting in front of that book, The Burn Zone, opens with me sitting in front of my spiritual teacher for the first time and, and going into what's a very high state of meditation called samadhi. Um, and when I asked the teacher what had happened to me, she said, you're sitting in the burn zone. You might want to move back a few rows. And so there was that burn zone in there but then also I realized as I'd gone through everything I was going through that I was in a crucible and I was being melted down and like a Japanese katana their swords I was being melted and pounded and melted and pounded to turn into something much stronger than I ever was before I went into the fire and I had all these quotes about fire in the book so it really was the perfect she did such a good job with that title well the um we're we're almost out of time, Renee, and, and I'm really enjoying this conversation. I feel like we could go on for an hour, but um, 
I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and, and future. Um, do you have a website that you'd like to share? I do. It's ReneeLinnell.com, R-E-N-E-E-L-I-N-N-E-L-L. Well, Renee, thank you so much for sharing uh, some of your story with me and the listeners this morning and, of course, more of your story in the books. The uh, new book is Still on Fire, and uh, it is out now, and it's it's part two, actually, of a trilogy that started uh, in 2019 with um, Renee Linnell's the burn zone um renee thank you again and um by all means keep up the good work thank you so much tom i loved our time together oh good Uh, um well take care and with that we'll have more of the tom sumner program from the tom sumner show Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. 
to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov slash vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hey, why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days, price swings of 30 or 48 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop attorney generaling. We got a concert to get to. I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nussel. If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash ag. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I said no, I didn't no. want to take it. No, sometimes you're not supposed to say no. Well, sometimes a fellow doesn't feel like taking it, he just stands right up and says no. I didn't want to I didn't Tommy. know it upset you this much. I just don't well, want to take what it. To the song. No. Too bad you caught me on an off night like that. I just don't want to take it Tommy, when a fellow stands up and says take it. I just I You know that? You haven't even read the folk singer's guidebook. You oh, You haven't even read the folk singer's credo. You, you don't know what it is to be a folk singer. Oh. You're a big phony. You? Oh, yeah? Yeah. Tell me, have you read the folk singer's credo? Yeah, well, Are you a folk singer? Yes, I are. Okay. Then you've read the guidebook, right? And you've read the credo. I Remember did. when you got your guitar, came with a book? 
Came with a book and an Arthur Godfrey chord changer. Yeah, I read Mom read it to me. Yeah, okay. What does the folk credo say? It says, all folk singers are obligated to do what? Dickie, I didn't know. Obligated to do what? I, I, I don't remember what it, what it said there. Say the whole credo. Come on. All folk singers are, are obligated, obligated to, to take it. That's right. He said to take it. If you feel like it. If you no, don't feel like it. No, it doesn't say if you feel like it. It says all folk singers are obligated to take it without hesitation, without thinking. They're to take it like a reflex. You, take it, Tom. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, well, so when know, I say take it, I want to see you hop to it all the time, every time. Dickie the dictator. Boil that cabbage down. Take it, Tom. Boom, 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 all the time. <laughs> Hundreds of years ago, the railroad started in America. Rugged men of yesteryear went on the vast wilderness of early America with a great dream in their minds, and vision in their eyes, and big nine-pound hammers clasping their hands. These were men of yesteryear building a vast railroad, a vast spiderweb of steel rails spanning across the width and breadth of the country toiling and inching their way under the, under the lucky old sun. <laughs> they inched and toiled their way across the vast bosom of America. <laughs> That's throw a little sex in the show. All right, all right. That's enough. But this wasn't just a fun job. real garbage mouth, you know that? You're talking about history, remember? Well, there was, there, these railroad men, it wasn't fun. They faced dangers. These men of yesterday, where they went, there lurked dangers. Some of the railroad men, they'd be working in the mountains, and in the mountains, there's a lot of, lot of dangers lurking in the mountains. These railroad men sometimes would stop at, like, at night when they were resting. Sometimes there's more, the nervous, some of the nervous railroad men, they'd, jump out of bed in the middle of the night, they'd say, hey, I saw a danger lurk. Well, what kind of dangers? There was dangers lurking in the mountains and they had to build the roads across raging deserts and blazing rivers and across the plains of America and there lurked dangers. Tommy, raging deserts and blazing rivers? They were tough, man, to get across those. Yeah, I think so. And these real men, to make it even worse, they. They were fearless men. They had to build railroads. Wait till you hear this. They had to build railroads across crevices, deep crevices in the ground. And these railmen had to span these crevices with big railroad pretzels. And in the bottom of these crevices, oftentimes in the bottom of these crevices, there lurked pumas. Vicious pumas. That's right, pumas with claws and that's foam wrong. coming out of these there pumas' any, mouths. Tommy, that's wrong. And there, they have bad breath, too. There weren't any pumas down there. There was the pumas, and oh, these rare men, they'd say, Wow, look at those pumas down Stop. there in the well, crevice. Yeah, there, there weren't any hey, pumas. I don't want to build a railroad across this crevice. I don't care what you say, there's pumas in them. Tommy, for crying out loud, there were no pumas in the there, crevices. There, there wasn't was, even one puma in one crevice. There, there was There, there was, was not. There was three pumas in the crowd. 
Mama Puma and Papa Puma and Baby, baby Puma. <laughs> Who's been sleeping in my crevice? <laughs> Do you want me to tell you why there were no pumas in the crevices? There was pumas. You want me to tell you why? There, the reason there weren't any, we don't have any pumas in this country. The, you see, there are no pumas in America. We, we accept everybody in America, Dickie. <laughs> That's right, we do. But do you want to keep your story truthful, yes, historically I, correct? Yes, I do. And get rid of the pumas right now. I'm not going down that crevice. <laughs> Well, there was these vicious beasts in these crevices, and these railroad men were sore afraid. And these railroad men come up to these crevices, they say, Wow, look at those vicious beasts in the crevices! <laughs> sure smell like pumas. Hey, spit that out. But they weren't. But they weren't. And these railroad men were sore afraid. Yet the railroads were completed. Yes, Americans. We can look back with pride on the historical archises of American history, where these men of yesteryear completed this giant task, the transcontinental railroads. It took a Herculean effort on the part of these men, but the task was completed. And you're probably saying, you probably wonder, when since this song coming? Maybe. Well, a big feast transpired and a sole substance for this feast for these ravenous railroad men of yesteryear and this big feast, the sole substance was hotcakes boiled in cabbage juice. Big giant uh, pancakes um, boiled in a pot of uh, cabbage juice for several hours. <laughs> then they'd eat it. Hotcakes and cabbage juice, those guys all think it's swell. But every time I eat the stuff, I always feel like bleh. Oh, boil that cabbage down, boys, turn that old cake round. The only song I ever did sing is boil that cabbage down. Working on the railroad, working all day long. Take it. When someone says, take it, you're supposed to take it. I suppose you've read the folk singer Credo, you shot your mouth off about it enough, and then when I say take it, you didn't take it. When someone says take it, you're supposed I'm, to take I'm it. Are you a sorry. folk singer? I'm very sorry. Don't get belligerent. I, why didn't you take it? When someone I'm not says, trying to get belligerent because you were absolutely right. You stood Boy, up. that really makes me angry when a guy doesn't take it. That's right, and it makes me angry too. And I think anybody who doesn't take it should be severely chastised, Tommy. Because you were right. The way you said take it was in a true folk tradition. You stood up there on your own two feet and you said take it with authority. You knew what you were doing. You're a, a man who, who knows where he's going. That's the way you were. You said take it. And I didn't take it. I know that I didn't take it. I, I don't know what happened. I, I assumed, see, I assumed you were going to take it. Well, but you're supposed I know to... it. I'm supposed to take it. A folk singer should never assume anybody else is going to take it. And I should have I known. I should have been alert. And I, and I wasn't. I... I guess my mind was just wandering, that's all, and I, I apologize for not taking it. Now, I assure you, I'll do my best to see that it, it never, ever happens again. Honestly. I'll let it go this time. <laughs> Working on the railroad, working all day long. Take it. Working, 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 working. Boil the cabbage down, boys. Turn, turn, okay, 
cabbage, boil that cabbage down, boy. Turn that old cake round. Only song I ever did sing was boil that cabbage down. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.